I got briefly distracted by something Jilly posted on Facebook. Sorry. Um. Anyways, uh, tonight's question um comes from comes from Hermia. I'm probably saying that wrong. I don't know why you guys can't all be called Jane. Okay. First, she says he says he say he she they say. First off, I love your fic. Thank you. I appreciate that. I suppose I want to ask you what currently inspires you fic-wise. I've seen that you've been writing in Harry Potter a lot more of late. What is it about that fandom that has caught your gaze? Um, honestly, I get bored. I get, like, I'll be over here in Stargate, and I'm like, you know what? I, I need something different. I need something new, and I'll stroll over to to Harry Potter, or recently I've been eyeing NCIS out of the corner of my eye. You know, it's just, for me, fandom is a hobby, so I, I tend to um, just really uh, go wherever I want to go, and just, I just meander through, and I'm reading, and, and what I read also inspires me, so if I'm reading something in Harry Potter, that's going to be more, you know, I'm going to be more interested in writing my own Harry Potter. The only fandom that I really read in that I don't write in, um, with any kind of serious consistency would be Inception. I do have a couple of works in progress for Inception, but, um, they're not really, eh, you know, they're, they're not really, I don't know. Um, I do have something big in beta right now, and I'm not going to say what. Um, it is 57K, and it's complete. It's a novel, and it's currently in beta. And um, I think that uh, you're going to be pleased and surprised and happy when it comes out. Um, I don't have a date on that, so don't go asking. Um <clears throat> Because, like I said, it's in beta. But uh, I um, I just go where the mood strikes me and, and what's entertaining for me. Because I think that also one of the reasons why I got into fandom to begin with is that I needed um, an outlet for some aspects of my creativity that I couldn't get met anywhere else. And I kind of stumbled into fandom... Again, after, you know, when I was younger, it was different because fandom really wasn't online. And so my fandom experience was private. And then, you know, when I st- kind of fell all over it um, in 2008, I, I realized that there was something there that I could play with and be comfortable in and um, not have to meet anybody's expectations but my own. So that was like really freeing. There was like that moment, like, oh, well, I can do whatever the hell I want. No, yeah, you can say what you want about it, but I don't care. I can do what I want. And it was very freeing to to figure out. Oh, I can. Oh, I can make that as gay as I want. Or I can write this, and I can do this, and there, there's no editor to complain, and I can. And then I had to figure out what a beta was, and I'm still, even to this day, eight years later, I'm still really, um, sort of shocked by the whole beta process because um, I came end fandom from a professional realm, and you don't get that kind of attention from another person. When you're writing professionally, for free, from anybody, you know, when you 
um, yes, you know, when you're in writer circles, there is a um, a give and take. But even then, as a professional writer in in a writing situation with a writing group, I wouldn't take somebody else's entire novel and offer beta on it. There's there's absolutely no way I would do that for an, for another professional writer unless it was Lady Holder. <laughs> you know, and that's different because we have a different relationship than I have with writers that um I know in a different context because we started out as betas. And it's just um it's it's really weird. And and the first time someone told me I needed a beta, I'm like, Well yeah, I'm sure I do because editing is not exactly my bailiwick. Um, but I can't I'm not going to pay somebody to um to edit my fan fiction and they were like, Oh no, no, you don't pay them. They do it for free and I'm like, Shut up, really? That's not how that works. No one does that for shit for free. And then I'll be damned if there weren't a whole bunch of people who'd willingly do that for me for free. And I was like, I don't even know what. What is this? I appreciate it, but I didn't understand it. I, I what? Okay, Here, here's my stuff. <laughs> you know, I don't even. It was just so weird. And even to this day, it's really bizarre. Um, and. I have to be careful not to offer to beta for writers that I interact with on our daily basis, like you know, in like on in coffee shops and stuff, because I don't want to go down that road with them. And I almost did it once, and it was a mistake. And what happens um, professionally is that um, sometimes I act as an alpha reader, and an alpha reader um, isn't quite the same as a beta, uh, and um, an alpha reader actually has a lot more influence over the um, trajectory of a work than a beta does. Um, and, you know, I can say, you know what, this actually really doesn't work here. I don't know what you're doing or what you tried to do or what you intended to do, but that's that's not what happened. <laughs> you... You were heading for Venus and you landed on Mars. I don't even what no, you have to start over. This this is but it's just a different experience and you don't do I do alpha read for you a lot, Lady Holder, yes. But um that's because you're not quite like I mean it's it's a mixture of alpha and beta, to be honest, because um we have a different relationship than I would that I would that I would have with another fan fiction writer or someone that I um, work with professionally. Uh, it's just, it's different. So, so you're kind of both. So, so you get both from me. <laughs> it's just a weird kind of uh, hybrid baby thing. I don't even know what it is. I don't even know what it is. But um, that's not the kind of investment that you get from a beta. And, uh, and, what you get from a beta is along the lines of what you get from a line editor or a copy editor in a professional situation and you're and that kind of stuff professionally you pay like sometimes as much as five cents a word for that kind of editing. <laughs> So the first time, like I got a beta, um, and they sent back a line edit, I was like, "What the fuck?" And they did this for free. 
oh my god it was amazing it was amazing that, that's one of, one of the biggest differences between i would say fan fiction and um professional writing is um how generous people are in, in fandom with um their time their attention their praise and their beta i mean it's just it's it's really awesome it's a great community um to be a part of and uh i like to meander around the different fandoms because um it's I seek out inspiration, and for me, always, always, my biggest single inspiration are other writers. Um, and these days, I am surrounded by some really talented and very inspirational writers on Rough Trade. And being in that kind of environment is just really nurturing to me as a writer. And I hope that the other writers that participate in Rough Trade are getting that same nurturing experience. It's my it's my goal, so I hope that um, when you sit down at the table at Rough Trade, that you're getting that experience. That you're um, that not not only are you in a safe place to write and experiment and um, uh, just kind of expand yourself as a writer and fail. Yes, you know you can stumble and fall. Oh, well, that didn't fucking work. I don't even know what I was thinking about. And it's safe to do that on Rough Trade. And I hope that. You know that it's safe to do that, and you can meander through ideas and fandoms and um, just, you know. But like I said, my biggest inspiration comes from other writers, and when I read something that really just blows my mind, it kind of draws me in. And I'm I'm kind of slowly but surely kind of falling in love with the character of Tony Dinozo, and I blame Jilly. Oh, I give Julie all the credit. Do you want credit or blame? You you, you probably got both, sweetheart. You probably got both. <laughs> credit. She wants credit. And so I'm kind of like, I don't know, you know. So I, I find him uh, interesting and in, in a way that, that I never have before. And, um... Uh, I probably would um, say that all your reasons is um, is the reason behind that, um, and that's one of Jilly's uh, little black dress stories from over the summer, um, and it's it just I was like wow what, what am I going to do with this and then I had an idea and then she said something to me last night I have never in my life done this to another writer professionally or otherwise but she told me this idea that she had in chat last night um and I demanded that she remove it from her brain and give it to me just just I wanted it wholesale out of her head and in my hand I actually made a grabby hand motion at my monitor before I could catch myself um so yeah I I had a zombie moment last night and then she posted a banner for it today just like a few minutes ago before the radio show started so I was on um Facebook and I saw it and then my show started in my ears it was like I was like oh god look there it is I'm so excited I'm so fucking excited (laughs) can't wait to read it i'm I'm probably not gonna get shit um, written in april because of her but um anyways um so when i'm inspired by other writers and, and what they're writing my um 
my writing tends to trail behind that inspiration. And my Harry Potter kick actually is my own fault, but we can kind of give my husband credit because he, you know, rescued all that stick for me. And I got inspired by my old work, and I was like, oh, well, that I could I could do so much with that, and I did. And that's where Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond came from. And I just kind of, it just kind of spun so many ideas out, out of my head. Um, you know, just just one after another. And so I have a whole bunch of works in progress for Harry Potter. Um, I have one called uh, Judgment that no one has seen. And um, Harry and Hermione are basically the last members of the Order of the Phoenix on their world and um he uses a ritual um to call down judgment to judge all the other magicals on the planet and before he does it he sends Hermione into um into a different dimension and magic judges all the death eaters and destroys magic on the world he left behind and he leaves but he doesn't land where she landed. So he has to keep looking for her. Um, and meanwhile, she's getting settled into this life where she's met his living parents. Um, Sirius is there. And, you know, she's she's at Hogwarts and they're in the middle of a war. And she's having to deal with all these people that were dead, but now they're not. And she's waiting for Harry. And then he finally shows up. And it's just, it's like, I really like, oh, <laughs> I went all at myself, at my own writing. So, um, yeah, there's, um, which is another kind of twist on that dimensional fix that I'm writing that's Harry and Draco, dimensional shifts. And you don't, in the Harry and Hermione one, you don't see Harry shifting from one dimension to another, like I did with the um, Draco and um, Harry one, because I wanted to have a different perspective. So I wanted to have Hermione waiting and wondering where he is, you know, um, and what's happening, and um, her having to deal with his living parents that she never had to deal with. I mean, she did, she, you know, and she doesn't know what to do with any of this, and she's just, she's just kind of stumbling along, and doesn't know what to do. Do you want to say hi? <laughs> no, he does not want to say hi. <laughs> Lady Horde is about to lecture me in the chat room. <laughs> what? Point of order. What? What? <laughs> you started you started talking about that and I'm sorry, point of order. I've seen that one. You have seen that one? Yes, I told I you that one? Oh. Okay, so she has seen yeah. it. I don't always remember yeah. where I showed her. This is true, um, and and I adore it, and I honestly think that will be one of the really strong ones that will will stick out. It's um, yeah. it's, it's just interesting to play, and magic gives you so many opportunities, and you can oh, yeah. spin it. You can spin it so mm-hmm. many different ways, and it's so exciting. And that could be why I keep being drawn back to Harry Potter because there's so much you can do with magic, and 
there's so much of the world that wasn't explored because Harry Potter was written mostly from Harry's point of view, and he was honestly the least curious character ever created. Mm-hmm. I Sometimes I wish that yeah. Harry Potter had actually been Hermione Granger and the Prisoner of Azkaban, because Hermione would have been all up in that shit, and we would know a lot about the magical world because of Hermione. I'm just saying. We would. That That's one of the reasons why I think I'm really happy with that particular piece because um, you see a, a great deal from Hermione's point of view. All right. You see a lot of the, the world um, that she's in from what she's seeing and how she's seeing it. And there's a, there's a, you get a glimpse of, of basically the report that she gives Harry on this is where I am and here's all the information, gossip, and everything else that I've gathered over the time that I've been here. And, you know, it's it's very interesting how much um, how much she's able to observe even from the point of view that she had. You know, um, it's, it's really interesting how, how everything works out in that one. I think I'm also really enjoying um uh the uh the recording of Hermione Drank um, Granger for that very reason as well because there's so much of Hermione in it and um her goals mm-hmm. and her dreams and um how she's been influenced by magic and I think one of the biggest moments in the story is when she confesses to being um devout that she worships a magical mm-hmm. god and when i put that in there in the plot i was like mm, do i do i really want to go there and then i thought yes i really do i really want to go there i want to give her that deeply spiritual connection to magic and i did it and mm-hmm. i'm like hell yeah <laughs> you know well the other thing is if you think about it she comes in at 11 and she, from what I've gathered of the, the backgrounds that you've given um, Hermione in in that one, um, her parents are they're involved in her life, if I remember correctly, and they're 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 not distant, they're not indifferent. She didn't have to raise herself. I tend to write that indifferent thing because I believe in canon they are indifferent. Because mm-hmm. here's this, they have their little girl, right? And she's in boarding school mm-hmm. most of the year and then spends half her summer with the Weasleys. These are not parents who want to be with their kid. No. Not really, no. And that's that's pretty, pretty bloody sad. And so, you know, it's... Um, it's an interesting thing how it how it works out. I I like the the I guess part of what I'm I'm trying to think of on this is I like how involved um that particular set of parents are. They're not the school is raising my kid and that's all I really give a shit about. I know. You Isn't know? that terrible? Isn't it terrible? Yes. I mean, you understand Harry not wanting to go home. You know how horrible Mm -hmm. it is at his house. But Hermione's um, 
visitations to the Weasleys is actually more than Harry's. Harry, you know, Hermione spends more time at the Weasley house than Harry does. So, yes. what is it about her family that sucks so much that we aren't being told about? I mean, mm-hmm. really? She spends all that time at school and she doesn't want to be with her parents over the summer? Yeah. So, I guess the, the thing with that one is, is it, it tells me, at least in that particular universe, with her level of devotion to... Um, to the magical God that with that particular set of parents, and it kind of sounds like it's a completely different set of parents, and it is in a lot of ways compared to, say, the the parents from, um, oh, God, there's one. Unspeakable. Yes, yes, where where they're just complete, forget it. Um, (laughs) she learned from probably a very early age. It, it's like the Church of England for her, all right? Or Catholicism. This is her This is her faith, all right? She didn't come in. She didn't come in as an 11-year-old with the Church of England. No. Um, I don't know... I think that one of the reasons there, um, there's a line, in, and I'm not sure if um, it's actually in the excerpt that you guys have read or not, um, where um, Hermione tells Harry that um, her mom thinks that the headmistress of the International Academy basically yes. brainwashed her. <laughs> yep, I, I did. And the that thing is, there. is that 11, 12 years old—that's a very impressionable age. And if you're being thrown headfirst into a new environment and a new world with all this information and all this knowledge and you're soaking it all up hook line and sinker she's like a little sponge and she just all through there Mm -hmm. and being exposed to the international community would have broadened her horizons even more because she's not being insulated in the isolationist britain that we see in harry potter Mm -hmm. so that well in, in that particular one add to the fact that she's Frankly, she's learning her sexuality or about her sexuality from a boarding school for girls. No, it's or not a boarding right. school for girls. No. The Academy oh, is okay, um, co ed. No. Oh, okay. In my head, Canon, I, I have a Salem school for girls, but the International Academy, I think, would have to be co ed. Okay. But I don't know. One of the interesting things about Hogwarts is that um, they're housed, mm-hmm. and they're in the same the same big dorm, and the girls have a protected hallway, but the boys don't. Yes, that's a recipe <laughs> for disaster. I was like, "Are you fucking serious?" And all their beds have privacy curtains. Are you fucking serious? Oh yeah, and it's not like you, you can't, you know. At, at that level of um, knowledge, you know, all you need to do is either an ignore me spell or a relatively decent, you know, head to toe, whatever the, the spell is to make you invisible, and you scoot on up and, and you're fine. You're, you, you know, um, yeah, that would be bad. Their head of house doesn't <laughs> live in their tower, so they don't even no. have like a house parent, right? And the prefix, they're going to bed 
for school, too, so it isn't like they're up in the middle of the night to make sure there aren't a couple of fifth years sharing a bed. Or more. The amount of illicit sex that would realistically happen in Hogwarts is unreal. I, I, I'm willing to bet that Pomfrey has a lot of time spent doing um, contraception charms. There's probably, like, contraception charms on every surface of the school. They're in the closets. They're on the beds. They're on the bed sheets. <laughs> the entire astronomy in tower is one big contraceptive tar- um, charm. I mean, it's just like <laughs> they have to have them everywhere. They have to. It's like the whole damn school. It could be in the wards. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. Yep. No unintended pregnancies here. <laughs> oh, man. What a mess. Oh, it's my personal headcanon that when Minerva became the d- deputy headmistress, that she, like, covered every surface of Hogwarts in, in um, c- contraceptive charms, and no one can figure out why the... um. Uh, un- the uh, teenage pregnancy rate dropped to zero the year she became um, deputy headmistress, and the, and the Department of Mysteries even studied it. And they can't figure it out. Just because they got somebody who actually has the relative amount of common sense. I know, right? They don't. And they and and they're not even looking for magic. They're just dumbasses. Um. Anyways, but yes. Yeah, so Harry Potter, I think. Um. Uh fascinates me because of all the possibilities. You know, just all you the ways that you can twist and turn it and move it around. You asked me um, a while ago why I um, why I do, at least for Rough Trade, the, the Harry Potter stuff and Merlin. No, that's not what I asked you. What I asked her was, what's up with your Merlin boner? <laughs> It's That's funny. what I asked <laughs> Go ahead. It's fun. It's fun because it. It. Um. Honestly, I actually blame, or I should say, thank you for this one, because you got me started on it. Me. Yep. You. I've never totally even watched Marlin. You didn't have to. <laughs> I have her locking on the book though. Yeah, because huh? I'm the one that gave you that idea about reincarnating Arthur and Merlin into Harry and Draco. Yes, and actually what what really kick-started the whole bloody thing was that one line in, um, uh, damn it, I can't remember. It's the one where Harry and Draco go back because of, of uh, Neville. Um, the War Mages, where, um yeah, yes. where, where where one of them says Merlin uh, and then Draco <clears throat> says not quite. He goes not quite. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and my brain went, Ooh, let's go play. And that was actually um, kind of like a Easter egg in that story um, because it's true. They are reincarnated matrices, and um, they are the reincarnation of Arthur and Merlin. And it might come up eventually in that trilogy, but that's why Draco said not quite, because he is the reincarnated Arthur, and he knows it. And my brain went, let's go play with this. I like this idea. <laughs> and, yeah. So I'm going to take so credit, I've been, not the blame. I, I give you total credit for that. There is there is no blame to be had there. Yeah. And that's that's a credit. 
because I, I sat there and went, I can do stuff with this. Huh. <laughs> uh-huh, exactly. Just but totally when I completely... it, I was like, should I leave that in there or not? Because I'm not sure if I'll ever actually explore the concept. But I knew going into um, War Mages that I'd already plotted that out, that part where, not that specific that that specific line, but that they were reincarnated over and over again, mm-hmm. and that not only were they Merlin and Arthur, they were also Salazar and Godric. Yeah, that one's going to cause some some excitement among the the sheeple. Yeah, especially since that Harry is Salazar. <laughs> yeah, that's going to cause real excitement among the sheeple. <laughs> Which which means that Draco at one point in his um was Godric. He was the Gryffindor, not just a yes. Gryffindor. He was the Gryffindor. But yes, um, so that was always there. But I wasn't sure if I wanted to add it. And then when that scene happened, and Draco was tearing down those wards, and I think it's Amelia Bones that says Merlin. It just came out in the dialogue, and I and I left it dialogue. I don't. I, mean, I have a plan for for a scene, but I don't actually plot um, the actual dialogue because that would be basically writing my fucking story before I write my fucking story. But I do have mm-hmm. content that I want to relay in a scene, and that wasn't particularly there, but it worked so well. I couldn't not do it. It's just a like a mini reveal. And most people didn't even notice it. I actually, and here's the crazy thing. When I read your stuff for, for doing beta, um, you're right. I, I do, I remember the line edit. And I think you got one for me real recently where I did that far more than I did an actual beta. Um, but it's, I'm not really reading for content. All right. Um, so sometimes it takes two or three reads outside of what I get as the beta for me to actually catch everything because I'm, I'm looking for have you shifted tenses or, or have you found that, that space bar again and you're hitting it every t- every couple words, um, you know, and, and the random commas and stuff. I'm looking for that. I'm not looking for the meat of the story, and that happens after. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I do the so, exact opposite. You know, I read um I read first for content and then I go back and read for um problems. <laughs> oh, I I'll go dive through it and and read for for the fun. I mean, I I read it first off just to oh my god, yum, and get all the way through to the end of it. And, you know, I'll I'll sometimes mark areas that, you know, hey, I want to, you know, what's going on with this, but for me, the, the actual slow, read-through, critical look at it, you know, sometimes it takes me a while to catch everything. <laughs> Not so, going to lie. But, yeah, yeah. But, but sometimes when you when you leave a little Easter egg like that in a story and, and someone catches it, it's just, like, super fun, <laughs> you know? It it was super fun because it definitely, you know, all sorts of lights and bells and whistles, you know, go off over the head. And um, that's one of the reasons why, you know, I I did the the, the Merlin uh, Harry Potter crossovers that I have. And, you know, the, the 
the last one I finished, um, which I will be working on to get out um, out of uh, of my files and back into the light, if you will, I didn't really want. They weren't quite Merlin and and you know um, Arthur. They just took their places, and that's you know that's them stepping into the the, the footsteps of those men. You know, as a as a different way of doing it. For what you've got, it's going to be interesting watching the reveal of these are these men. You know, <laughs> I don't know if I. I think I find it historically funny that you know everybody swears by Merlin. Why does anybody swear by Arthur? I once read a Harry Potter fic where someone got really exasperated and said uh, Godric's beard. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It really tickled me. got really, really tickled. And then there was also this awesome fic, and I I lost it and never found it again, where Draco um, um, finds a secret room in Malfoy Manor, and on the wall is a portrait of Merlin. And when he finds it, he says, Merlin. Like he, like, and then the portrait wakes up and says, you know, I always knew my name was going to end up being a curse word. <laughs> <laughs> knew it. That's fantastic. It. And that's the only thing I remember from that story at all. That's, that's the only thing I remember. So please don't email me and ask me about it because I don't know. But if you do, that's- I would love to get an email from you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no shit. That would be great. Because mm-hmm. it's really interesting that a picture of Merlin is sitting in the in the wall, and um, you know, in the Malfoy Manor. It was a secret room that his father had, and I I really I don't remember anything else about it. And it was just really uh, that that's just what I remember. That would be really cool. I actually, I I think I I I want to hear. I want to read that one. You know. Even if it's just reading that scene, you know. But, yeah, I don't know what it was, so don't ask me. But if you know what it is, do feel free to email me with it, and I'll put it on my Facebook. Anyways. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I just, I go where I'm inspired. And I have to say that there's something, um, J.K. Rowling um, created something amazing. And the mm-hmm. first time I read Harry Potter, I was like, oh, God, look what you've done, woman. What did you do? Look what you did, Joanne. And then mm-hmm. I was like, oh, but look what you didn't do, Joanne. Thank you. <laughs> Starts to write yeah. notes. Because cause she left it open so much for interpretation. And there's so much you can add to it and you can play with the history and you can play with um, the dynamics of magic. And I know why she didn't explore too deeply into the magic because she didn't want to be accused. And she still was accused of um, promoting the devil and um, demonism. Mm -hmm. And she shied away completely from paganism for that same reason, I'm sure. And the end result is, is that the the magic is um, almost like an accessory. It's it's not the the center level of of mystery and and um, I'm trying to think of, of other books that I know of that have magic in it that have it far more 
front and center. And um, I guess some of the ones that I've seen with it are like Tamora Pierce. Mm-hmm. Um, she's that some more magic is very front and center. And, you know, it's it's treated as a as a tool, you know, but it's also there's a fair amount of reverence. I think she imagine like it's beautiful and dangerous, like a tiger mm-hmm. or a dragon, <laughs> you know. And mm-hmm. so that's Very how much I like a dragon. in my stories. It's um, a living, breathing um, entity. And so when mm-hmm. I put magic in my work, when it comes to Harry Potter, it's that's always where I'm coming from on that. You know that 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 it's more, um, it's more than what you see. Mhm. It's very interesting how you manage it. It's, I, I enjoy it. Um, by the way, I'm really, really happy that you got sucked into the NCIS fandom. Shut up. I know it's terrible. Oh. I know. I did my part. but um, I've got a dead air thick in me. I I want you guys to know that in advance. Um it is my single biggest search when I want to read NCIS. I go look for Ziva bashing and dead air. Um, so there is a epic dead air fic in me. I just haven't found it yet. And when I find it, it's going to be 100K. And I'm just I'm just warning At you least. in advance. At least. And it'll probably and be just... Tony slash Steve McGarrett. Because I, I'm okay. really digging that pairing. I'm really digging that. In fact, I've already plotted one of my Alpha Chronicles for um, the little black dress this summer, and one of them will be um, Tony as a guide and Steve as his sentinel. Hot fucking damn. Is it July yet? Damn it. I've already plotted it. I have two different names that I'm thinking about. One is called um, Walking Blind. And the other one is Gravity. I'm pretty sure it's going to be Walking Blind because I'm 100% certain that Gravity is going to be my dead air fic. Um, so, yeah. Oh, golly. I'm, I'm, I'm all sorts of happy. <laughs> yep. This is what these bitches do to me. Hey, look, you know. I tried to tempt you years ago with with putting Tony in various things, but it didn't quite work. That's you know, how if, if that, made it, that's how we got Declan Frost. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'll put Michael Weatherly in my fucking story. Here you go. But you know what? That's also yes. how um, Matt Shepard came to be. Um, I had so many readers when I was doing what might have been. Um, asked me to write Supernatural. Well, I'm never writing Supernatural because, number one, I can't watch it because the fandom ruined it for me. Um, so and I'm, I'm just I'm just not, no, I'm, I'm not going to write about a couple of demon hunters. I, no. Um, I'm an atheist, number one. And it just, I, no. Anyways, and so I was getting ready to cast the, the younger brother for, um, for the Shepherd family, and I did a casting couch. You guys may or may not remember that, especially the people who've been mm-hmm. with me since the beginning, but there are, I have a lot of new readers, too, who might not remember it. And I put four or five different actors up, and Jensen Ackles won by a landslide. <laughs> and that's mm-hmm. how came Matt Shepard. Am I interested? I remember originally I planned to cast 
um, that guy, Tom, who played Superman in Smallville as Matt Shepard. No. I was. No. He was, um, he was my original Matt Shepard. Tom Welling was my original Matt Shepard. And, um, uh, I think he got like two votes on the casting couch. And so I gave my readers Matt Shepard, you know, Jensen Ackles is Matt Shepard, just so they would stop asking me to write Supernatural fic. <laughs> Well, if I remember correctly, in in Lantian Legacy, Theseus is is um, Palaki. Uh, yes. Yeah. The uh, the other one. Hot damn. <laughs> totally worth it for the both of them. So, you know, you may never actually write Supernatural, but you certainly use both actors well. Well, you know, it was just easier to um to um to give in a little bit on the um on the Jensen train than um get run over yeah. by it. <sighs> yes. And hey, I inspiration. I'm really attached to the casting now. But originally I did plan to use Tom Welling. Yep. Uh, no, I just <laughs> I can't see him as a shepherd. You it's would really have weird. I just if he'd been there the whole I, time. I would wouldn't, have. Wouldn't even question yeah, it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie on that, but yeah, mm, I like I like Jensen. Oh, hey, he could be a grown-up, um, um, Andrew. Yeah, he could be. He very well could be. <laughs> Might as well go for that. It looks like we got two and a half minutes left. Mhm. I have a little bit of a headache. Mm. Been working on it all day. Um. Just one of those things. Yeah, no. The change I, I, and all that stuff. Well, I've been work has been interesting enough that I've actually been able to um, actually pull out a uh, thing and write, and it's not been uh, fan fiction, although that will probably be tomorrow. So we'll see how that goes. Um, yeah. Now you're doing Merlin for April. I'm doing Stargate. I'm yeah. I'm doing a Stargate time travel, um, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, my my Merlin one is a reversal where instead of Merlin being the one who uh, lives through time, it's going to be Arthur. That'll be interesting. Yeah, complete reversal. Because it doesn't happen the way it should. Uh, mine is um, Rodney is dying. He has a brain tumor that's a result of an off-world accident, and he has a device that he stole from Atlantis before Atlantis was destroyed. And um, he asked John to help him activate it, and then they both know what it's going yeah. to do. And they do it, and John wakes up in his fifteen in his fifteen year old body. Oh God, that's gonna go over badly. <laughs> and he's like, "Fuck the timeline," and he joins the Marines. Meanwhile, Rodney is living his life as close to the timeline as he can possibly get, so he doesn't fuck up anything. And John's just like, "Fuck it all, <laughs> fuck it, fuck it." <laughs> oh, and then when they fabulous. finally do meet up, McKay's like, "What the fuck were you doing? What, what the hell?" <laughs> You could have totally fucked <laughs> up the timeline. So yeah, I'm I'm kind of looking forward to writing that. Um, 
And so we're down to 46 seconds. You guys have a good evening. Say good night, Lady Holder. Good night, Lady Holder. Hey, no ass to mouth. You haven't said it Yeah, absolutely no ass to mouth.